0: I turn in Exodus chapter 39, reading the entirety of that chapter, God's holy and inspired word. Though the flower fades and the grass withers, the word of the Lord endures forever. Give your attention to the reading of it, Exodus 39, God's word. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron. Aaron. As the Lord commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut it into threads to work into the blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and into the fine twined linen, in skilled design. They made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces joined to it at the edges, and the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece with it, and made like it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, as the Lord commanded Moses. They made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree, and engraved like the engravings of a signet according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be the stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. He made the breastpiece and skilled work in the style of the ephod, of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. It was square. They made the breast piece doubled, a span in its length and a span its breadth when doubled, and they set in it four rows of stones. The row uh, a row of Sardis, topaz, and Carbuncle was the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire and a diamond, and a third row, a, a third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst and the fourth row a beryl, and onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold filigree. There were twelve stones with the names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. They made on the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. They made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And they put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. They attached the two ends of the two cords to the two settings of filigree. Thus, they attached it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And they made two gold rings of gold and attached them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the the ephod. And they bound the breast piece by the rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, so that it should lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod, and that the breast piece should not come loose from the ephod as the Lord commanded Moses. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue, and the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment, with a binding around the opening so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, around the hem of the robe, For ministering, as the Lord commanded Moses. They also made the coats woven of fine line uh, of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, and the turban of fine linen, and the caps of fine linen and linen, and linen undergarments of the fine twine linen, and the sash of fine twine linen, and of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, embroidered with needlework, as the Lord commanded Moses. And they made the plate of the gold crown like pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And they tied to it a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did all, accor- did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent, and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamps set, and all the utensils and the oil for the light. The golden altar, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen from the entrance of the tent. The bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin and its stand. The hangings of the court, its pillars and bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs. And all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting. The finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his son for their service as priest. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. As far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. So do you love math? Are you one that numbers comes easy to Unlike words or faces, numbers just stick in your head. Well, some people are like this, and others are the opposite. That is, you do not enjoy math, and numbers are like sand easily slipping through the fingers of your mind. Just the sight of an equation will give you cold sweats. Well, those who study theology in the Bible are not generally known as math whizzes. The stereotype that pastors are not good at math is a shoe that fits more often than it doesn't. And this may be good as numbers and math do not play a big role in Scripture. In fact, many heresies and crazy theologies have come from attempting to do exegesis by number. And yet this doesn't mean numbers are irrelevant in Scripture. There is, after all, a book named Numbers. And so as we near the end or close of Exodus, we come to some significant numbers. No algebraic or calculus equations are required, just some easy counting. But from the numerical pattern, the Lord reveals the beauty of His glorious plan for His people, His true temple. So the main structure of the tabernacle was wrapped up in the previous chapter. But there's one more piece. What you might think really isn't part of the tabernacle, but it is essential to it. And this is the priestly vestments. If the tabernacle was a moving vehicle, the bronze altar is its engine and the priest is the, is the captain. And the uniform of the captain must be just right. Thus it starts with the threads. From the royal and holy, blue, purple, and scarlet, they made the vestments for ministering in the holy place, Or the sanctum. And this line is packed with significance. First, these three colors belong to the most sacred parts of the tabernacle. From them were made the veil and the innermost layer of the tabernacle, which was too holy to be seen by the people. Second, these vestments are for ministering. They are the official uniform for the priest, for the people. Without this outfit, Aaron cannot work, and if he tried, he would die. Finally, the vestments are particularly for working in the holy place, which is the sanctum of heaven, come down to earth. The holy place was the celestial realm, and so these clothes dress Aaron up like a celestial. To serve God in heaven... Angels had to wear the proper regalia, and the vestments make Aaron match those heavenly servants. In fact, back in chapter 28, it said the priestly garments were for beauty and for glory. Well, glory and beauty, this pair, belong most properly and exclusively to the Lord. So the vestments drape Aaron in the same splendor to reflect God's own All dressed up, Aaron resembles a son of God entering the heavenlies. And this being the case, everything must be just so. Hence, we bump into this phrase in verse 2, As the Lord commanded Moses. This is called a compliance or obedience formula. It underscores that they did everything in ideal compliance to the Lord's instructions. It's a stamp of obedience performed. But we're going to see several of these, so we need to start counting. But next up is the ephod in verse 2. Now, the ephod is a sort of sweater vest for the high priest. It hangs on his shoulders, and it fastens down closer to his waist. It is also made of the holy blues, purples, and scarlets, but a fourth thread is added. They take gold, hammered into gold leaf, then they cut it and twist it into gold thread. And this gold thread is woven into each color to make the ephod. The, this vestment is gold, blue, purple, and scarlet, all of which match the heavenly colors of the sanctum. In fact, these sacred threads, which could not be seen in the holy place, can be seen on Aaron. The ephod is the mo, the outermost piece of clothing that the people can actually gaze upon. Aaron's ephod not only matches and reflects the heavenly beauty of the sanctum, but he makes the invisible visible to God's people. In the ephod, the people can witness the celestial service of their high priest that he does for them. Aaron enters the heavenlies and he wears the heavenlies on their behalf. Yet the description of the ephod closes in verse 5 with another compliance formula, number 2. And the next item up is not a separate item of clothing, but it is a feature of the ephod. They took two onyx stones, set them in gold filaments, and attached them to the shoulders of the ephod, one on each shoulder. And then on the stones, they engraved the names of the sons of Israel, six tribal names on each stone. And the function is listed as being stones of remembrance. These are memorial stones for Aaron to bring the names of the tribes before God. They're reminders to the Lord, which colors the covenant as deeply personal. Typically, lofty kings do not know the names of their vast people, but it's different for Israel. They have a priest who carries their tribal name Before Yahweh, the Lord knows his people by name and he's ordained the high priest to bear their names before him regularly so that he will not forget his people, but remembers them constantly. By these stones, the priest keeps your name in the mind of God and the memory of Yahweh is a wonderful thing. Though this bit on the stones is closed with a compliance formula, verse 7, number 3. Next we come to the breast piece, which is made of the same holy threads of the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet. In fact, the breast piece is a square pouch that's attached to the, to the ephod on the outside on Aaron's chest. The ephod and the breast piece are kind of like a married couple. They're two different items but joined as one and not to be separated, thus verse 21. But the standout thing about the breast piece are the 12 stones in the four rows of three, sewn on the front of Aaron's chest. Now, if you'll recall, we went through these stones back in chapter 28. They are precious or semi-precious stones, several of which we cannot identify with certainty and are unsure of their color. Yet each stone is engraved with a single name of a tribe 12 for 12 and even though it's not restated here this is the breastpiece of justice by which Aaron performs justice for the people and he carries their just obedience before the Lord he reminds the Lord of the people's obedience so that the covenant blessings might flow nevertheless this section gets a period of a compliance formula Number four, verse 21. And following the super holy breastpiece, we take a step down to the holy robe. This is made entirely of blue, of a poncho-like construction, and the robe is underneath the ephod. In fact, it's the main garment visible to the eye that the ephod sits on top of. And since the golds and purples reflect heaven's beauty, this solid blue, may represent the sky. That is, the blue visible heavens separate the heavens above from here, the flesh below Aaron's body. Yet the tension is focused on the hem, which is decorated with pomegranates and golden bells. The pomegranates are cloth woven from, again, blue, purple, and scarlet. And the pomegranates were symbols of fertility, fruitfulness, and abundance and the gold bells presumably added a musical jingle to Aaron's service. And we're never told the precise purpose of this elaborate hymn, but it definitely amplifies the beauty and glory of the holy vestments, which is purpose enough. And as before, the fifth compliance formula rounds out this section in verse 26. This brings us now closer to Aaron's body, with the tunic. The tunic was a long shirt that rested against the skin, and its value was that of pure, because it was pure white linen. This reveals that the priest vestments align with the fabrics of the tabernacle, but inside out. The gold, blue, purple, and scarlet in the unseen inside of the tabernacle is on the outside piece of Aaron and then this is separated by two layers from Aaron's body. His body, the priest, corresponds then to the outer world. Clearly, then, the tabernacle and the priest are a unit together. But tossed in here with a pure tunic are several smaller items, Aaron's turban, caps for his sons, the sash or belt for Aaron, and, of course, the holy underwear. And all of these are grouped together into a section finished with a compliance formula, number 6, verse 29. But there's another item on the list, the priestly crown, in verse 30 and 31. This is the gold plate, decorated to look like a flower bud, and written upon it, is holy to the Lord. The crown on Aaron's turban reads, holy to Yahweh. This tops off Aaron as being God's special property and partner. It sanctifies him as the unblemished servant to walk among the angels within the celestial realm of the holy place. The gold crown invests Aaron with authority to conduct all his duties unto the Lord and on behalf of the sinful people. Being holy Aaron can go where the people cannot go in order to obtain for them the blessings that they so desperately need. And stapled onto this report about fabricating the crown is another compliance formula, which, in our counting, is number seven. The full uniform of the priest and his sons is structured into seven sections and each one is dotted with, as Yahweh commanded Moses. Everything was made with precise compliance to the plan and orders of the Lord. The holy threads of his sacred vestments are woven together, then, in righteousness. And with this exclamation point of obedience, it is finished, verse 32. All the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. It was done, completed. With seven steps of obedience, all the work of the fabrication comes to an end. Indeed, if you think about it, so much has transpired since the work began. So many words and text has been used on the tabernacle. The Lord began His instructions for the sanctuary way back in chapter 25. Then, with the golden calf apostasy, the whole project of Emmanuel was nearly aborted and trashed. But with the effective intercession of Moses, work was commenced in chapter 35. And now, after seven obedient sections on the holy vestments of the high priest, the whole work is finished. And the finished line sentence even combines the two names of the sanctuary into one. Note it's called here the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. These two names are typically used separately as they communicate different aspects. Tabernacle means God's dwelling place. It highlights Yahweh residing among his people. The tent of meeting, though, refers to the Lord meeting and speaking with Moses. As the tent of meeting, it's the location of revelation of God's word and will. It's also the appointed place and time for worship. At the tent, the people come to meet with the Lord in worship and communion. And all of this is now finished. And to this finish line sentence is added an emphatic and expanded compliance formula. Israel did according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. To the seventh obedient formulas for the vestments is added this emphatic one for the whole tabernacle. And our counting is not quite done yet. At this point, everything is made, but the tabernacle still has to be assembled by an elaborate sanctification ceremony in the next chapter. And to prepare for this, the Israelites now bring all the pieces to Moses. Like a long line of FedEx drivers, they deliver everything to the doorstep of Moses. And this delivery list begins in verse. Begins in verse thirty-three is also divided into seven sections. There is the tabernacle with its layers, the ark, the table, the menorah, the incense altar, the bronze altar, the court hangings which add up to seven, we get a double seven pattern. Seven steps for the priestly vestments and seven pieces for the tabernacle brought to Moses. And this second group of seven is wrapped up with another long emphatic compliance formula in verse 42. The second seven pattern is bookend by two emphatic compliance formulas. Thus, we see that the larger architecture of this chapter is telling its own story. So after the two groups of seven, know what happens next. Verse 43, Moses saw the work, all the work. Moses saw the work and he blessed the people, which is an allusion to Genesis 1 and 2. There God finished all his work, saw his creation, And behold, it was very good, and so he blessed the Sabbath day. Here, Israel finishes, Moses sees, and Moses blesses. Exodus explicitly wants us to see the tabernacle in light of creation. This is another creation like the one in the beginning. But there are some differences. God saw, and behold, it was very good. Here, Moses sees, and behold, they made it just as the Lord commanded, so they did. Moses gives visual inspection, and behold, the third emphatic compliance formula. There are seven simple compliance formulas plus three emphatic ones. A seven plus three equals ten of totality. Yet where God assessed his creative work, As very good, Moses sees the obedience of the people. The very good of Genesis becomes the righteousness of the people to build the sanctuary. Furthermore, God finished after day six to rest on the seventh day. God only sanctified the Sabbath as holy. The six days of creation were good, but they weren't holy. Here, though, the work is finished not in six steps, but in seven steps, even a double-seven pattern. A seven-fold work makes it all holy. This makes the tabernacle, then, not just another creation, but a holy creation. The tabernacle is a holy creation put together in a double-seven pattern by the righteousness of the people. This makes the tabernacle better than the first creation. Moses is accomplishing here more than what just happened at the beginning. The tabernacle isn't so much a recovering of Eden, but it's advancing God's dwelling with his people beyond Eden. Indeed, though he was holy, Adam never performed righteousness to secure the sanctuary of Eden. But here, under the tutelage of Moses, the people of Israel get a 7 plus 3 approbation of their righteousness. In Exodus, righteousness performs something that was failed at in Genesis 3. Therefore, in the tabernacle, we see a type and a shadow of new creation. We witness a new creation that is holy and whose beauty and glory reflect that of heaven. For the Israelites of old, this was their foretaste of new creation. It was a sign and seal of the heavenly and eternal Emmanuel to come. Indeed, as we know from the book of Hebrews, the earthly tabernacle was a model of the heavenly one. All its features and pieces of furniture were pictures of the greater things to come. And so from the vestments of Aaron, we are in the schoolhouse of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The outfit invested the priest with worthiness to enter heaven and to minister there for a sinful people. In his vestments, Aaron was ascending on high to make intercession for sinners. And yet where this was graciously confirmed on Aaron, our high priest ascended with his own worthiness for us. Being dressed up, Aaron also needed the blood to minister in the sanctum of heaven. And so our Lord ascended only after he first descended. To be like us, Jesus took on our humanity. He lived in the same dirt as we do. Christ, though succeeded, were all failed in sin. Then he shed his priceless and holy blood For your eternal atonement and redemption. Moreover, Jesus sprinkled his blood in heaven by the Spirit. He didn't purify an earthly building or tent, but with blood on the heavenly altar, he purified your heart. His blood sanctifies you completely, both your soul and for a new glorified body. And now that your saving priest is at the right hand on high, Jesus does something particularly wonderful for you. Christ performs a host of blessings for us, but one stands out in this chapter. Jesus carries your name before the Father for remembrance. Jesus is the good shepherd who knows you by name and ensures that the Father never forgets your name. As we confess his name on earth, Christ confesses your name in heaven. Additionally, as a better priest, Jesus doesn't just carry our tribal representative name before God. He does do this as he names us his bride, his body, and his temple. Yet Christ also calls out your individual name. This is brought out in an outfit change. Aaron bore the names on two stones and then on the twelve stones. The Jesus, though, enters not with stones, but with a book, the Lamb's Book of Life. He has a tome to hold all your names. This is how personal and intimate your salvation and relationship is with Christ and the Father. As your elder brother, Jesus doesn't forget your name. As his adopted boys and girls, the Father remembers your unique name. When you pray to God, you come not only as members of a tribe or the church or as a descendant of an ancient ancestor, Abraham. This is true. But also, when we pray in Christ's name, he knows your specific name. He knows everything about you, inside and out, private and public. Jesus knows your inside thoughts, and he still loves you as an individual saint. Indeed, this is what makes the love of Christ so amazing. He loved you enough to make you a new creation. Today, you often hear that true love doesn't try to change you. If you love me, you have to accept me just as I am. But this really isn't sincere love. If you love a drug addict, you do not let them to stay in their lethal addiction, but you do all you can to free them from it. Love wants what is best for the other person. Thus, our Heavenly Father disciplines those he loves. And so to love a sinner by leaving them in their condemning sin, this is more akin to hatred. Thus, Jesus Christ loved your sinful self so much that he died to redeem you from the curse, to purify your depravity, and to make us a new holy creation. As his bride, Jesus sanctifies you more and more to present you spotless and beautiful in him. Indeed, where the materials and realm of the tabernacle was a type of new creation here, Jesus fashions new creation itself, which is you, your own person. The church building is not creation, new creation, but all the saints in the church are. And where all our building projects are imperfect, Jesus fashions you ideally after a double-seven pattern. Sure, sanctification in this life is imperfect, but Christ is making you perfect in holiness. In death, Jesus will fashion your soul to be holy with him in heaven. And then in the resurrection, Christ will remake your bodies into blameless spiritual ones. And then we will hear that ultimate finish line of the tabernacle, Emmanuel reality. For in the new Jerusalem, the Father will declare, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And on that day, we will fully know, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus finished your redemption on the cross, and he will finish his new creation in heaven. Thus we live between the two finish lines of Christ. So may we keep our hope focused on the second, as we always remember the first, and may we welcome the sanctifying love of Christ here and now, even though it comes with suffering. Indeed, may grace ever transform us after the image of Christ so that we, with ever more sincerity and adoration, may worship and glorify our one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For this is our chief end. It's what we do now imperfectly but it's one Christ is sanctifying us to do perfectly forever. May that day come quickly. Amen. Let's pray.